And like we say every week. <laughs> Shit. Come on, John. You're not going to do it? I thought you were going to do it. <laughs> do what? Do the thing. Say the, <laughs> say the tagline. Like we say every week. No, like we say every week. He's not. He's going to refuse to say it. Why? Yeah, why is he being like, all right, Dan, and like we all say politics every week. Is All politics is local. Oh, and then he oh, snakes wow. Dan. <laughs> wow. As soon as it goes, dude, he's like a little kid. Junction City Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Martinez. With me today in the virtual octagon, Mr. John Miles. There he is. And Colby Peterson. On today's show, the big budget chopping block with House Minority Leader Representative Brian King. We'll be doing some pinkies up, thumbs down, some events. No polls again. I'm sad. No polls. But no, I hard. understand it. I get it. There's more pressing things. That's on the forum, which we'll probably talk about. But first, what's the hap haps? What have you guys been doing? I'm going to go first, actually, because we just talked about this. But Do it. Uh, yeah, I've been watching that Jeffrey Epstein thing on Netflix. It's kind of crazy. Nobody really knew like anything about this guy. And there's a bunch of shit coming out in this documentary series, docu-series. It's like the... Uh, the hips, hip hipsters like to call it. So hip. So hip. Way hip. Yeah. yeah. Soup's hip. Dude, that guy was kind of, that guy was a fucking nut. To, like, he, he was sick and all the shit that he did. We're just on the island episode right now. So, like, ooh. No wow. good. And then this Acosta guy. Are you oh. familiar with Acosta? Yeah, he was like the. The attorney general? He was. No, no, no. no he was. Uh-huh. Uh, he was what was he? Oh shit! Uh, it was like it was like Secretary of um... Secretary of Labor. Labor was it Labor? Yeah. yeah after this whole thing, like he yeah. he 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 settled with Epstein in like two thousand and six or something in Florida because he was like the uh, the he know, was like the state the state AG or something something like that, right? He held some federal position in Florida. But this oh, she was like the, U- the U.S. attorney? Yeah, and he just kept going up and up and up, and, and he became the Department of Labor, like, and he, and he dropped this ball, like, yeah. that. And uh, recently, he though he resigned. I didn't know that either. Acosta resigned, but... Corruption, man. Dude! Right out, right out in the open. For real. For yeah. real. I wish that they had enough time. I wish that Netflix had enough time to do a docuseries on some of the legislators here in, in uh, Utah. I think that what you would find with legislators in Utah, this is what they like to do. They like to... Wet their beaks like and wet their friends' like to... beaks. <laughs> with... Good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, they, they skirt the line on what is, you know, like a person like Greg Hughes, right? Like Greg Hughes, uh, that when, I don't know if you ever read that um, piece that came out from the Utah Investigative Journalism Project about... Some of the things that Greg Hughes had done when he was in the state legislature and also when he was on the UTA board and how some of those things may have enriched himself. And like there are things that maybe are like towing the line of legal, but they're definitely not ethical. And that's what I think we find a lot in Utah. We find a lot of that. 
A lot, oh, that's why there's all these fucking Ponzi schemes, or uh, what do you call them? Uh, MLMs, multi-level yeah. marketing. Well, not even that. Just like I would say, it's it's more stuff like like so. The Hughes thing was that he owned land, and then he was pushing for UTA to put the Draper Front Runner station near land that he owned or was going to buy, and just. I think we see it also. Um, you guys know what the North Davis Corridor is? It's basically an extension of Legacy Highway up into Davis and Weber counties. Yeah. There are a lot. I mean, of course, there are folks in the state legislature who are home builders. Um, they're developers. Yeah, maybe, they're, maybe they're real estate agents. Uh, they, a lot of folks have purchased land on where, you know, near where that corridor is proposed to go, you know, sort of like in preparation for once the state finally builds that road they will own property that is prime to, you know, that now main artery on the Western part of the, of those counties. So stuff like that, you know what I mean? Where it's like, ah, it's probably not illegal, but is it ethical? I don't know. Anyway, that's what I've been doing this week. What do you got, John? Oh man, I just been, <laughs> Dadding it up. I made a volcano for baking soda and vinegar. That's cool. Yep. Like on purpose I, oh, without, I, like you did it without like there being a school project or anything? Oh yeah, my kids aren't old enough for school. I just make them smart for fun. But I also went to Echo Reservoir. That was pretty sweet. Went yeah. on a Friday, nobody was there. It was enjoyable. You could have gone hiking Coldwater Canyon with me, but you didn't. Oh, that's right. That was that day. Oh, man. I don't, I don't regret it. It was a beautiful day. Don't feel like, bad, man, because, like, I don't know what happened to me, but I started up, and I got half a mile up, and, like, I just felt wiped. Like, I was, like, uh, weak. My heart was, like, doing – my heart has this problem where, like, if it gets too hot and I haven't had enough water or electrolytes, like, it starts beating out of rhythm. And, yeah, that started happening to me, and, like, I didn't make it very far at all, and I had to come back. So – don't feel bad you know i knew this makes me feel worse you know it makes me feel bad too for going on a hike with you with just me and you because you realize if you would have passed out you you'd have been dead i wouldn't have been able to do anything for you how much work that would have been for you that's where your mind's going in this story (laughs) it never it never gets that bad where like i pass out but like you can tell when it starts to happen. It's like, oh, okay. Like you need to start drinking some water. You need to get some Gatorade in. Like you need to, cause it's starting to like do the thing. So honestly, I don't know about you guys, but like, I was just like super depressed this week, man. And like, I just was not like, I, I find that I time my, sometimes I tie myself worth to my productivity. And if I have a week, like I did this week where I have things that I want to accomplish and I don't really accomplish them, I sort of get down on myself and then as the week wears on and I continue not to accomplish those things because I'm sort of already, you know, beating myself up for not doing it earlier, it just gets worse. And that definitely happened to me this week, man, or I was just like not in a mood to do the things or accomplish or be involved or just really do very much at all. And so I was in a bit of a funk this week. That's sad. You should have gone on that hike with him, John. No, it's okay. You should have gone. Cheered his spirits up. I, I didn't invite him because Dan, I knew Dan. Ouch. I get why. Yeah. Ouch. Well, I knew you Dan don't need to explain. Oh. Oh, you did You did it during work? Yeah. I did it like 2 o'clock on Friday. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Still working. Yeah. But at least Friday was National Donut Day, and that was a beautiful thing. Hey, speaking of which, 
I so we live close by. Mm-hmm. I drive by your house, or I drive not by your house, but the street that goes to your house, right? <coughs> Creeper. Whatever. <laughs> he always tells me about it. You're the guy that moved six houses from me, bro. Yeah, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Sure, sure. Anyway, I saw your flag out. Which one? The Weber State flag. flag. Oh, right, yeah. Good. Any is that is that like a thumbs Good up? Am I am I getting in front of the, something here? The pinkies no, up, I thumbs don't. down, right? Or the Weber State thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we're going to talk about that. And, you know, I I don't think I put it up, you know, in that, those couple of days where we weren't sure what was going to happen on yeah, campus uh, and exactly how that was going to shake out. I think that, I kept my wife kept, and I were like on on pins and needles like, OK, wait, is is this is he good? Is he done with the flag? Because like when we go on our walks, we always see, oh, look, there's Kobe in the flag. And yeah, man, and it wasn't and up. So, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't for a couple of days because it was like, I don't really know where we're at on this. And then it came out that, you know, the professor resigned and all this stuff. And, you know, and it seemed like, OK, we're good. We're good. But uh, now we got I got another thing we're going to talk about. And because up thumbs down thing that just came out this afternoon. And, you know, Morris posted. Oh, in the I did see that. Too. About, yeah, yeah so we'll I don't want to get that. too far ahead. But uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll be speaking with Representative Representative Brian King uh, about how the budgets work. In the house? The state. The state. All right. Ashley Wolfius and the Elements of Real Estate are proud to support the independent local journalism of the Junction City podcast. If you're buying or selling real estate, or if you need a certified residential appraiser, contact Ashley at theelementsofrealestate.com or by calling 801-391-8503. Welcome back, JC Peeps, to the Junction City Podcast. We have with us today in the virtual octagon, uh, House Minority Leader Representative Brian King. Uh, He's been gracious enough to hop on the Zoom call with us and chat us through the budget process that uh, the state is going to be going through here in the next couple of weeks. You know, last week we talked about the Ogden City budget process with Ogden City um, City Council Chair Angela Chaburka, and we kind of took you all through that process. And now this week, we want to talk about the state level and kind of what does it look like for the state as they go through a revision of the budget that they passed earlier in the this, the regular legislative session in January, March, uh, or January, February, March. So, Representative, thank you so much for being willing to chat with us tonight. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Colby. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so first of all, I, I, you know, maybe the JC peeps may not know you super well, you know, John and I know you fairly a little bit, uh, from our time in County party leadership in 2017 and 19. Um, so I thought that maybe you would, uh, maybe introduce yourself a bit, tell the JC peeps who you are and how you found your way into democratic leadership in the state of Utah. Sure. Well, um, I grew up as a, a kid just here in Salt Lake County, Salt Lake city. Uh, it's a very, uh, pedestrian sort of boring resume in the sense that I went to Cottonwood High School. I went to the U of U. I served a mission for a couple of years for the LDS Church in St. Louis, Missouri. Turned me into a Cardinals fan. Went to law school when I came back here. I know. I know. I'm sorry. You're wearing the Brewers hat, Colby. And I love the the (laughs) National League Central. Sorry. It's true. I mean, Uh, it's just wrong. It's just the wrong uh, Cardinals and the wrong sport in general. Dan is an Arizona Cardinals fan, so we're going to move past all that. But I will say this about the St. Louis Cardinals. They are 
of of the rivals that I consider a rival in the in the NL Central, the Cardinals are the classiest. The Cubs, we're not going to talk about that. But please, please continue. <laughs> well, they, they, I have I am a big Cardinals fan because of that. But um, anyway, I came back here, graduated from the U of U Law School. I've been practicing law ever since. Then. I sue insurance companies for denied uh, medical and uh, life and disability insurance claims. So. I've been doing that for a long time. I served uh, as a president of the Utah Travelers Association, and in that capacity, I was up for the legislature a lot, lobbying and just on a volunteer basis. When my own legislator back in 2008, Roz McGee, decided to, decided to retire, I thought, okay, well, I might as well throw my hat in. Uh, so we did that, and I've been serving in the House Democrat Caucus ever since then. Um, I was uh, elected the leader of the caucus in 2014. You know, it's a time-consuming job. Um, I remember David Litvak, who was the leader. Uh, uh, there was David when I first came in, he was the leader, and then Jen Seeley was the leader for a couple of years, and then I ran for leader and uh, was elected. But I, I talked to David, I said, how long does this take out of session? Because I mean, during the session, everybody's- Crazy busy. Yeah, 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 60 hour weeks. But, but outside the session, I thought, well, it's, you know, I probably spend five or 10 hours a week doing my legislative stuff. Maybe it's like 10 or 15 hours a week at most. And he said, no, dude, it's probably like 25 hours a week. And I said, oh, my gosh, really? And he said, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Administrative stuff, some of it. Some of it is uh, working with your colleagues in the caucus to make sure that you're on the same page. Some of it is working with uh, leadership on the other side of the aisle, the speaker and the president, sometimes the governor, people on the governor's staff. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on that you know, you don't really see much of, but it's, it's pretty important work. And I've, well, I've got to give, sorry, I, I've got to give credit where it's due because you've been so instrumental in candidate recruitment across the whole state, you know, and uh, you've always been one of the big supporters of, you know, we need to be in Weber County. Those are the places that we're going to be making the pickups. You know, there's a lot of people who would maybe go either way on that, but you've always been one who comes up to our conventions and all that yeah. stuff. So we, uh, we've no, we, always appreciated it. I don't need to tell you and you and your you guys and your audience. I mean, we were counties. I mean, they've been a democratic stronghold for decades and generations. I mean, there was a time, and and so it's heartbreaking, honestly, to see them uh, not be as uh, forceful on that as I'd like to see. And Lou, of course, Shirtliff is just wonderful. We're so glad that she's up there. But I'm confident that we're going to pick up some seats. I mean, I say that a lot, but this is a year, a good year to be a Democrat in Utah. And yes, and you're right. One of the things that as the leader of the caucus, I mean, you've got the legislative stuff that you're doing, and then you've got the political campaign stuff that you're doing. And I take seriously, of course, as any leader of the caucus would and should, the responsibility to make sure that we get more Democrats elected across the state. So I've been doing a lot of that. And uh, that takes a lot of time, but I love it. I mean, I don't have a lot of hobbies. I used to golf and things like that, but I can't remember last time I went out golfing because it's too time consuming. So between my law practice and between leading the caucus and between campaigning, recruiting, I pretty much have two or three full-time jobs. Right. It's a lot. Yeah. Yes, yeah, sir. It is a lot. And hey, would you, uh, what is your district? So district 28 is uh, if for those familiar with Salt Lake City, which is probably most of your audience to some degree, it's everything east of 13th East, and it's everything north of I-80, most of the U of U, all of Emigration Canyon, a little bit of Summit County, Summit Park, and a little bit of Pine Brook. So it's it's sort of the northeast corner of Salt Lake County. Right, okay. So I guess that would include, it would include the zoo as well, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, right. I'm actually on the floor of the zoo, and uh, it's the zoo, Foothill Village, Sugarhouse Park, that whole area. Okay, because uh, we, I, I've read uh, some really interesting comments from Representative Lee Perry, who represents a portion of Weber County, about the zoo, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> but uh, I'd love to hear what he had to say. It's, uh, it's something else, and um, yeah, I got some, I got some stuff for Lee Perry right now. That guy is something else for me right now. But wonderful. So, Representative, we're we're glad that you were able to find your way into leadership, and I feel like you've been doing a, a, a pretty good job, all things considered. Yeah, definitely. Um, during the session, we talked a lot uh, with Katie Matheson from Alliance for Better Utah. We talked about the super minority and what that means. And so we've been talking to the audience a lot, the JC peeps, about the importance of breaking the super majority in the state legislature, getting more Democrats elected, and what that can mean for having a seat at the table. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Because it's easy when you're in the super majority to basically do what you want. You don't have to pay much attention to the super minority. And we've seen that. And and look, I have a good relationship with uh, Brad Wilkes and the Speaker of the House. I work hard at it. And it's not that hard. He's a good guy for the most part. I mean, politically, he and I disagree on a lot of things. But in terms of just being a human being, he's not a bad guy. And the same is true for the president, Stuart Adams. Stuart, President Adams and I get along well. But, but. They don't feel any need to come to me as leader of the caucus when they feel strongly about doing something. For example, during the session, uh, we had the impeachment trial going on and you had Mitt Romney, one of our senators, who to his great credit had the courage to vote to impeach. And let me tell you something, I was up at the legislature when that happened. And if you wanna see panic, they had the, the leaders of the legislature on the supermajority side were panicked about that because they recognized that it uh, could do some damage to Utah in terms of having a volatile and uh, vindictive guy in the White House. Mm -hmm. And so there was this uh, talk about putting together a citation to give due honor yeah. and credit to your leader, right? Mm -hmm. be crazy. And I thought, okay, no problem. Because at least, look, uh, I can count. I'm not going to, we're not going to be able as Democrats keep that citation from passing, but at least it will come before us on the floor of the House and we'll debate it and we'll be able to say some things. Yeah. No, it went out as a citation with unanimous approval. There was no vote on the floor. There was no vote on in committee. Oh, it was wow. a done deal. And it made me crazy. And I went up and I said to the speaker when he was on the dais one day, as soon as I found out that it had gone out and that there had been no discussion, no vote, I said, what is this? And he said, well, you know, we just felt like we did what we had to do. And I said, well, this isn't in accordance with the rules. Our rules require a vote. Our rules, first and foremost, require that we honor only Utahns. And he looked at me and said, oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. So, I mean, you know, when you're in the supermajority, you don't have to live by the rules, basically. And, and look, I, don't, I don't mean to paint them as evil or anything. I mean, because most of the time, they, we do comply with the rules. But... But there, I, what I'm getting at is the supermajority status gives them a feeling of lack of accountability. And that makes me crazy. And if we have better balance in the Utah State Legislature, I don't care what party you belong to. Balance is a much better way of making sure that the end result of the product that comes out of a legislative process is solid, is good, uh, takes the best ideas from both sides of the aisle. So- Right, it weakens the vetting if, if there's no totally, competition. Totally. And, and that's what we want. You know, we want the best ideas to come in conflict with each other and the best of the best ideas to uh, filter out and the worst, the dross to go by the wayside. So 
uh, we could do much better in terms of how we develop laws here in the state of Utah if we had better balance in the legislature, and that's what we're looking to do. Yes, sir. And we agree. You know, we talked a lot about that during the session about how um, things, some things uh, come out of closed caucus meetings on the other side, and uh, they just sail right through because, unfortunately, because the state is gerrymandered, including especially Weber County, looking at, you know, districts like House District 9, House District 8, you know, right. uh, some of our Senate districts, you folks who are elected in some of those districts are not so much afraid of their voters as they are afraid of leadership. And uh, that's an issue when we're talking about the things that go on up the, up the hill. We saw it with tax reform. We saw that, you know, there was a push forward for these things. And then it was roundly rejected by folks from both sides of the aisle. And, you know, I've contended that that's the big reason that that has happened is because of gerrymandering. And so if representatives are not worried about what their constituents think and are worried about what the leadership of their party thinks, it creates a situation where what you've just described, Representative, where it's not exactly something that is going to be good for the people, but it's going to be good for the people that have access to leadership. And that's, that's a big issue. Right, right. You have this divergence between good policy and things that are happening for ego or things that are happening for political ambition or things are happening because you have people who were connected to, uh, you know, individuals who have the ability to bring their uh, self-interest to the legislator and really sort of have their way because of connections. And that's never a good thing. No, sir. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that with um, Energy Solutions when we uh, get into this conversation about the budget. So if you don't mind, uh, let's let's do that. Um, we talked, like I said, with the JC Peeps last week about the process of creating a budget for the cities, which was, you know, even I, I said this last week, even for the folks like us who are fairly well plugged into politics, it was completely new to me how the cities come up. But for the state, from my understanding, it is the state comes up with a sort of a, what we would call maybe a skinny budget or a budget that would keep the state running in the event that budget negotiations go long. And then there's this back and forth and we hammer it out and then the state legislature passes the budget and then it rolls for the rest of the year or it goes into effect July 1st, which is the beginning of the fiscal year for the state. Right, right, right. So the, the fiscal year for the state, as you say, Colby, is start, begins on July 1st. So when we're in the legislative session, there are actually two budget aspects that we're doing. Utah is one of the few states in the country that actually has uh, every member of the legislature involved in the budgeting process. Every member of the legislature is assigned to a budget uh, sub-appropriation sub committee. It's an, I misstated that. It's an appropriation subcommittee. Okay. So we all have input into uh, what recommendations are made to the budget committee. And the main budget committee is the executive appropriations committee, which is uh, actually, as, as far as things go in terms of the numbers of people partisan versus uh, Republican versus Democrat, it's more evenly balanced than most committees. It consists of the four leaders in uh, the House on each side of the aisle, so eight total, and then two, the budget chair and the vice chair who are Republicans from the House. So you got 10 people from the House and the same thing on the Senate side, 10 people on the Senate side, eight out of the 20 people total are Democrats and 12 are Republicans. That executive appropriations committee is the final decision maker in terms of recommendations for the budget. They take the information that are put, is put together by the appropriations subcommittee uh, members, again, all the members of the legislature. And most of the time, we pretty much accept uh, what the appropriations subcommittees come up with. 
And then we make uh, a final decision as an executive appropriations committee and it goes to the House and the Senate. We each as a body vote on those things and it moves forward and the, and the uh, governor signs off on it. So when that, you as a body are looking at it, is there a lot of nitpicking or is it sort of, you have to take it as a whole? Yeah, it's a great question, isn't it, John? You don't have to take it as a whole. There's some nitpicking that can happen, but but as you can imagine, the president and the speaker really try and keep that clamp down so that there's not a ton of debate. For example, one of the things that we as Democrats have tried to do each year when it came up is uh, when we had uh, sometimes half a million or a million or a million and a half dollars that went to delisting of wolves or keeping wolves out of Utah, we thought that was just a stupid waste of money, basically, to be paying a lobbyist. Uh, and we've always stood up and said, hey, we want that stripped out and we always lose, but we want to make sure that people in the state of Utah recognize we're picking stuff that we think is really a waste of taxpayer funds here and there and trying to make an issue of it. But you got to pick your spots carefully. So the answer yeah. is there's not a ton of, of that that goes on. We, tr we try and do our horse trading and, and the, the most effective place to do the work on, in those kinds of things is not on the floor of the House or the Senate, but it's in the appropriations subcommittees and it's in the executive appropriations committee. There's a lot of behind the scene work that goes into that. So one of the things that we do, you mentioned uh, Colby, how it works and it, the way that it works basically is we are in the 2020 legislative session, primarily focused on coming up with a budget that begins on July 1st of 2020 and extends through June 30th of 2021. But there's also a supplemental appropriation requests that are made and passed for the remainder of the short fiscal year that we have in front of us, which we're in right now. We're in the last 30 days of the fiscal year 2020. And during our session in 2020, there were some supplemental appropriations requests and cuts that were uh, made and recommended and that we did. Um, this last session, of course, was an odd one in the sense that the bills that we passed for fiscal year 2021 um, were not bills that we ever will ever see go into effect because basically we came back into the special session after COVID and after the pandemic shut everything down, which dramatically, as you can imagine, altered our revenue estimates for the 2021 year beginning July. And basically when we did the special session back in April, we said, you know what? All those changes, all those budgets that we passed with increased funding for various programs in February and March, they're not happening. So for example, one of the things that we did on education is we had this big compromise where UEA was, uh, was uh, got to a point where they were willing to back off opposing the change to the constitution exchange for a 6% increase in WPU and for uh, statutory obligations to increase funding to keep up with enrollment growth and that kind of thing. Well, that's all been basically put to the side now. We don't, yeah. we're not doing that in July, on July 1st. Yeah, so, and Heidi, Heidi Matthews, who is the president of UEA, if I'm, is that right? Yeah, she is. Um, she said in the Salt Lake Tribune that basically since those, you know, the, that one side, because one side of the compromise has gone by the wayside, don't expect to see the other side, you know, come through, which, I mean, personally, I think that UEA not opposing the question on, you know, to change the constitution is not even a slam dunk in itself because Republicans have an uphill battle in convincing people that letting them get at that restricted pot of money to do other things is, is somehow a good idea. So 
from my understanding is Heidi Matthews is saying like, well, if one site goes away, sorry, like don't, don't expect us to hold up our end of the bargain. No, she, and she's absolutely right. She shouldn't, UEA shouldn't hold up one that side of the bargain. And it's interesting that one of the things that we talked about is being fearful about uh, when we were discussing this very question during this session is, well, if you eliminate the constitutional earmark and you just put it in statute, statute can be changed by any legislative session. Mm -hmm. And then what we see is exactly that. You know, we have the legislature in March passing this budget that calls for a 6% weighted pupil unit increase for public education. And then because of circumstances changing so dramatically on our revenue estimates and the budget, what it's actually gonna look like, basically two months later, we're saying, sorry, it's not gonna happen. Well, that illustrates very well the, the peril of getting rid of that constitutional earmark. Yes, sir. So, I think that that's one of the, 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 you know, that's one of the ways in which what has happened the last couple of the last few weeks has really highlighted the problems with eliminating that constitutional earmark. Reasonable minds can disagree about it. I get the idea that, you know, we've got a uh, imbalance in our budget that we've got to deal with. And we'll, we could talk about that for a long time about the best way to handle it. But I, I think Heidi is right in her expectation that because of COVID and the budget problems that we've had, we're not likely to see this grand bargain move forward in a way that if I were a voter, well, I, I feel strongly about this, but if I were a voter that tentatively was thinking, maybe it's not a bad idea to get rid of the earmark constitutionally, what we've seen the last few weeks and last two or three months would suggest to me that it's a bad idea. We ought to wait and see at least before we make that decision. Yes, sir. And so for the JCPs, we kind of threw a little bit of lingo at you all there. So the UEA is the Utah Education Association. It is one of two teacher unions here in the state. Uh, the WPU that we were talking about there is the weighted pupil unit. This is how much the state spends per student across the state. And, you know, it's been noted several times, um, I think on this show and elsewhere, especially in the newspapers, that Utah is dead last in the country. And that includes Puerto Rico about... Uh, in, in, in terms of that WPU, we are 51st out of 51, I believe is the number. Yeah. And then, um, and so that 6% increase was significant for Utah. Um, and now that's, that's gone away. Um, right. And then um, the other pieces that we've talked about it before, but in case um, the JCPs have forgotten, there is a constitutional earmark on all state income tax dollars. They all have to go to education. Republicans would like to see that go away. And that's what the push was because that money could only be touched for education and they wanted to get at it for other reasons, even though, as we've noted here, education has traditionally been underfunded in the state. So kind of a head scratcher there. Right. Well, and I, I'm curious if you think that this coronavirus crisis, economic crisis, is that going to kill the push to do the tax reform? Is it kind of slow um, down? Well, I, I certainly think it's going to uh, make people rethink their assumptions about the best way to put the tax, the budget together. Um, it seems like the surplus was their biggest uh, motivator. They were like, we've got the surplus. Let's go do something with it. And now we've got to right. Well, and not only that, but, but you've got a situation where you have uh, most of the volatility in our revenue for the state budget comes from the income tax. That's more volatile, generally speaking, than sales tax, and is certainly more volatile than property tax, which is the other main source of funding for public education. So the problem that you've got is 
we're going to see some real decreases on the budget. And we've already gone into, in our appropriation subcommittee meetings that we had a couple of weeks ago in preparation for executive appropriations committee meeting, which is coming right up next week. Every appropriation subcommittee was uh, had to go through the exercise of how do you cut your budgets that you're in charge of making recommendations for by 2%. Okay, great. How do we cut it now for 5%? Okay, great. Good exercise. Now, how do you cut it for 10%? And we went wow. through that and it was a painful process. I mean, the agencies, the state agencies and um, the state school board, things like that, who were the ones sort of on the chopping block were coming to the appropriation subcommittee meetings and saying, oh, well, if we have to cut 2%, here's where we'd cut it. 5%, oh, well, maybe we could make it work here. 10%, now you're really cutting into bone. But if we had to take a 10% cut, here's how we could, would propose to do it. So. There was a good exchange. I mean, our ex executive offices and criminal justice appropriations subcommittee meeting, which is one is the one that I'm on. We spent four hours, five hours talking about this. And it was, let me tell you, it was painful. I mean, the, the state agencies were coming to us saying, please don't do this. And if you have to do anything, do that. You know, they were struggling. Yeah, I would say it's not dissimilar from what we heard last week where, you know, the Ogden City Council as they go through these, you know, they have various city agencies come to them and explain kind of hopefully what they would like to see, or maybe they, you know, would like to see some increases here or there and, you know, kind of massage the numbers. And, you know, I think that they had a lot of similar messages and that, you know, if you were to not, you know, for example, we talked about, um, they would freeze the current 4% increase for paying police officers in Ogden city. Uh, that's, uh, that's difficult when other agencies are trying to recruit those folks away and we're already yeah we're already you know behind in terms of compensation for those folks if you're to freeze those what does that do for morale but also for retention so it's a difficult conversation well no you're absolutely right and that's what happens a lot is you know we've had this long 10-year recovery 10-year plus recovery and different folks have got we've gotten to them in terms of basically uh bringing them back up to the state that they were at before or increasing them if they were in the hole before to where they needed to be. Not everyone's done at the same time. For example, the Department of Corrections, which is part of my executive office and criminal justice appropriation subcommittee, they're really underpaid. And this is a tough job. I don't think I have to tell anybody listening to this. But we put in place like a three or four year plan to, uh, to increase them uh, significantly to the point that they're more competitive. And we were like two or three years into it. And this next year was going to be their year, last year, their second last year, they lost it all. So it's a frustrating thing for them. I, I don't envy a lot of our state divisions and agencies who are really struggling on this budget stuff. I have, I have a question about, um, so there was a lot of talk about like the rainy day fund and all this stuff. So what, what, how does that play into this whole pandemic and everything going on? Like what, what's the next step there? Is there plans to use that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, Utah, one thing that Utah has done a pretty job over the last few years, we've got a great uh, fiscal analyst, the head of our legislative fiscal analyst department, this guy named Jonathan Ball. He's one of these guys that you don't hear much about. Not many people know his name. But when you're at the legislature, you know him very well because he is the one who basically comes to us each year in our appropriations subcommittee meetings. His staff staffs those meetings, and he and his staff talk to us in executive appropriations about here's how much money we're going to have coming in. Here's the way that we got to handle some of these things. And over the last few years, 
our staff, Jonathan Ball being the head of it, has basically said, we need to come up with a more uh, uh, flexible, resilient system for making sure that when times are tough, we can make ends meet and do it in a way that doesn't result in really significant and painful cuts. And there is a, we had our a pro, executive appropriations meeting, I think it was in April or May, and there was this wonderful presentation. I actually, in preparation for our podcast, brought it back. It's, it's called, uh, I don't know if you can read that, 2020 Pandemic Budget Stress Testing. And basically, it's the folks at our Legislative Fiscal Analyst's Office. You can get this on the, this isn't a private document. You can get it on our website, um, but the legislative website. But basically, what they went through is they said, we estimate that over the next three or four fiscal years, we're going to see a range of loss of revenue based on the pandemic, anywhere between a billion up to two or $3 billion. And if that happens, if that comes to pass, here's our proposal for the best way to handle that without, in the most painless way possible. It's all gonna be painful, there's no question about it. But there are different ways of making sure that we fill the holes without uh, doing undue damage. And part of that, of course, we've been talking about kids, public education, we've been talking about social service programs. There are all sorts of things, you know, prisons and jails and uh, making sure that we have uh, nutritional programs for kids. And I mean, the, the number of things that the state funds is just really huge. I mean, our whole entire state budget is about $20 billion. So Jonathan Ball and his folks came up with some uh, methods of moving money around, basically. And there are uh, and, and there are some strategic cuts that we've asked some uh, agencies to make, and there are rainy day funds that can be um, accessed. There is a bit of, I think, difference. And part of this is partisan. It's not entirely partisan, but I think there is a little bit of partisan breakdown here. Um, I think most, not most, but many people on the other side of the aisle, when we talk about dipping in rainy day funds, especially when we talk about the public ed rainy day fund, which is about $800 million right now, a lot of money, which is a good thing that we've got that in reserve. And there is, I think, greater hesitance on the part of some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle to tap into that. And the response when you ask them about it is to say, well, we need to save that for a rainy day. And my response in, in return to that is to say, well, if this isn't a rainy day, I don't know what it is. Yeah, well, but but there, can, there can be good faith differences of opinion about how much you draw that down and how quickly you right. draw it. Right. Yeah, in fact, um, you know, our representative, Paul Ray, so Senator Luz Escamilla made that exact, you know, comment on, you know, on the Senate side saying like, well, it's raining, so this is it. And then Paul Ray came back later with some comments in the House saying, well, it might be flooding. We might be underwater later. And, and uh, I was like, you know, man, though, like like you said, there's a difference of opinion on when it should be used and how it you know, doesn't necessarily have to mean like, well, we need to use all $800 million right now. Like, that's not exactly what anyone's saying here. Exactly. Yeah, the 10% um, the target in the ed public education was $380 million. Wow. That was going to be cut from the public education fund. The 2% was 76 million, the 5% target was 190 million, but that 10% target, 380 million, I mean, that eliminates, it, it eliminates full programs. Wow. Uh, even, even the 2% even the target <clears throat> eliminates full programs. Wow. Yeah, and, and, and part of the problem, I mean, there different populations are vulnerable in different ways. I mean, it's a hard thing to not give 
the Department of Corrections officers the increases that they were promised. Right. And I want to figure out a way to make sure that they do get paid for doing very, very difficult jobs. But it's, it, and I don't mean to pick on that necessarily, but the, it's, it's different, I think, when you're talking about the ability to fund nutritional programs that make sure that kids get the food that they need when they aren't going to school, for example. And the feds have tried to come up with some money for that, but we just heard a week or two ago that Utah is not participating in that program right now for a variety of reasons. And maybe one of the major maybe ones, good. yeah, and that Chris Peterson noted in his campaign for governor was the fact that they felt that the state felt it was too much paperwork. They didn't want to. Yeah, do yeah, yeah. And, and there are some logistical issues with that. I've actually been communicating with our Department of Workforce Services about that. So I'm not going to jump all over them. But what I am saying is this process of figuring out where you make cuts and where you don't make cuts or how you quickly, how promptly, how aggressively you fill them, whether with rainy day funds or with increased taxes or whatever, it reveals your values. And that's the interesting thing to me is values and priorities are revealed, whether they're conservative or liberal or whether they're Democrat or Republican. And sometimes it's not even susceptible to being broken down along those kind of partisan lines, but they're revealed in what you choose to fund and what you decide you're not going to fund. And I think one of the things that we as Democrats are trying to do is identify those who are most vulnerable, identify those for whom the the losses and the cuts would be the most painful. And I think I speak for most of the people in uh, the House and Senate who have these behind their name and saying, you know, a third grader, you got a, you got a window of opportunity here. And some of the stuff that third graders or that age kids need to get when they have that year of school, they're never gonna get again. You can't make it up in fourth or fifth grade and you can't accelerate a second grader to get it. I mean, it's part of their maturation process. and so. I think public ed, social service programs are where we want to make sure to the greatest extent possible we hold them harmless from these cuts that we're going to have to make. So just a follow-up question there. So uh, does that mean that those those appropriation subcommittees have gone through those two, five, and 10% scenarios? They've laid those out and sent them up to the Executive Appropriations Committee? They have. And, they have. And you can find those recommendations on the website, uh, looking at the, exec, the appropriation subcommittee uh, materials and, and the listening to them if you want to. Those, we had those meetings the week after Memorial Day, that weekend, the last weekend, in, or the last week in May. And we're going to have EAC executive appropriations next week. And so our staff right now is sort of taking those recommendations, pulling them together to uh, come up with some sort of game plan for how we go forward in the 2021 fiscal year. Now, it's recommendations, but it's not final decisions. So executive appropriations committee, I, I'm, for example, getting a lot of uh, uh, information right now from the Utah Prosecutors Council. I think it's, they sent me a letter. I, I'll reach for it right here. <laughs> the Utah Prosecution Council. This is something that was cut as a recommendation from our executive offices and criminal justice appropriations subcommittee. So as a consequence, folks who are looking at making sure that's funded are emailing and mailing me and every other member of executive appropriations saying, this recommendation was made, please don't follow through with that. Please change that recommendation when you do executive appropriations. It won't be this week, it'll be next week. So when, um, let's say that the 5% target in public education is chosen, 190 million gets cut, at what point can can you guys decide or who gets to decide whether or not the rainy day fund gets tapped? Yeah. 
That'll be an executive appropriations committee decision, and then it will be ratified and it may be modified on the floor of the House and the Senate. But uh, it's likely that whatever comes out of EAC, executive appropriations is gonna be the thing that ends up happening on the floor of the House and the Senate and what the governor ends up signing. So next week is gonna be an important meeting. And, uh, you know, I think most people are, we're, we're gonna work hard to save public ed, especially in light of expectations that were created as part of that grand bargain that Heidi Matthews has talked about uh, in the last session. I mean, just having that not go through is something that has been a real kick in the gut for public ed. I think there's a feeling that if we can, we need to make sure that the that education, public education to the greatest extent possible is held harmless. Now, will that happen? I don't know. We're gonna work hard to make sure that happens as Democrats to the greatest extent possible. Well, and that's something I'm really curious about. Like with them being in the supermajority, with them having the ability to call these special sessions, it seems like sometimes things can move very quickly um, and be kind of pushed through. And it seems like in your position as minority leader, you end up maybe being in the middle of that. Or like you said a minute ago, you sort of become the voice for a lot of your fellow Democrats who maybe don't get a chance to speak to, you know, the majority leader or the, the uh, speaker, anything like that. So um, can you talk like I just imagine you've got to get a lot of heat from both sides. You know, you've got to work with the Republican side and then anybody on the Democratic side who feels like their thing didn't get heard, it's sort of, they might blame you. So you find yourself in that kind of position a lot? Well, yeah. Um, I, here's the thing that you gotta do. If you, if you do this job well, you gotta build up credibility. You gotta pick your spots really carefully. You gotta say things in a very uh, calculated fashion to- sure. Make people who are on the left of you, I mean, your base, the people who are saying, you go get them, man. Tell them where to get off, man. Don't just let them push you around. You got you to gotta be able to stand up and make them feel that you're not rolling over and caving in. Right. While at the same time, not being so obnoxious and aggressive that you alienate your relationship with the Republicans. And I do. I pick my spots. I mean, I, I say stuff about Donald Trump. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows <laughs> Hey, look, no holds barred going against Donald Trump and some of the folks at the federal level. I'm a lot more careful about saying things directly uh, to go after the president of the Senate or the uh, Speaker of the House. Well, the sure. There, I imagine you've got a few. I do. There are times when I do. Well, yeah, you've got to feel that. Be very careful. Yeah. If you upset them, they could shut out all of your colleagues. It's, it's hard enough to get our as super minority members. It's hard enough for us to get a word in, which is heard and listened to. Having said that, for the most part, we have good relationships up there. And there are times when I say to the speaker, listen, I got four things I wanna talk to you about. Here's the prioritization of those things. Here's the first thing that's most important. This is the second thing is also important, but I recognize, and, I, and I'm very direct with them in saying, Look, you, I'd, I'd, I'd like four things from you, but I recognize that you may be able to only give me one or two of them. My most important things, and I speak for our caucus on this, is number one and number two. Now, not everyone's going to agree with that prioritization that I go through. And sometimes the speaker just says, dude, I can't give you any of them. Sometimes he can give me two or three of them. 
So, I mean, you know, it all depends, but we try to maintain relationships, good working relationships. I mean, you just have to have that uh, while at the same time saying what needs to be said. For example, when on that citation I told you about with President Trump, we as a caucus were incensed and we issued a press release that went to the media and we said, we condemn this action. I ran it past the speaker beforehand and he said, he said, condemn is a strong word, Brian. I said, yeah, it is. I get it, but we are going to condemn this because it's absolutely wrong. So, I mean, you know, there are times when we stand up and we are pretty forthright and pretty strong in our statements, even though we know it risks alienating either the speaker, or the president or other powerful people. We do it anyway because we feel like we need to. And then there are other times when I'm sure uh, Democrats and our base just go, come on, why don't you say more? And we don't because we have to pick our spots, quite honestly. So um, I wanted to ask, with the the, the state of the budget, um, it, it sounds like there is some information that is forthcoming, and then that will help them decide how deep the cuts need to be in some of these budgets. Um, can, can you tell us when those numbers might come and how they will influence what decisions will be made in the special session to come? Yeah, I referring to primarily cold meat or budget uh, and revenue forecasts. What we're looking at when we make these decisions is the best information from the Department of Workforce Services, from the Governor's uh, Office of Management and Budget, and from other, uh, our state sales tax commission, or not sales tax commission, but our state tax commission. They're the ones who have the best information on a rolling basis about uh, what kind of revenue is coming in, where we're falling short, where we're doing better than we thought, but there are ranges that they set up, our legislative fiscal analysts set up ranges of, if we have this much revenue, here's what uh, cuts we have to make. If we're that much more, if we have that much revenue plus another five, 10%, we can avoid making certain cuts. So that's the kind of stuff that we're looking at. I think those revenue estimates are coming out either this week or early next week. And uh, uh, they're usually on a quarterly basis, but that's something that, um, Jonathan Ball and his staff are gonna take a hard look at it and inform us of, and then they make recommendations to us. I mean, we're only as good, nobody up there in the executive appropriations committee, their legislators are actual uh, economists. I mean, the best that we can come up with are people who work in business on a day-to-day -day basis. We're relying very much on our staff, Jonathan Ball and his uh, team. And quite honestly, they're great. And they, and they, they do their job very much removed from partisan considerations. So they're, uh, I have a, I'm sorry, you said they're not economists? No, they are. Oh. The legislators are not economists. None of the legislators on EAC are economists. We actually Got you. have okay. an economist. We actually have an economist in the house, Robert Spenlove, but uh, he's not on the executive appropriations committee. I don't think maybe he's the vice chair of the house. I'm not sure. But anyway, I mean, for the most part, people who are legislators who are on the executive appropriations committee, people like me, you know, they're educators and they're lawyers and they're, you know, they do things that don't involve putting state budgets together on a regular basis like our fiscal analyst office do. So we rely heavily on staff who are well-trained. That's great. Um, I wanted to kind of wrap the conversation up by asking you, Representative, um, knowing kind of what the, um, the appropriation subcommittees have laid out for their recommendations for two, five, and 10%. Are there any particular issues aside from just 
doing our best to hold social services and education harmless among the Democratic caucus. Is there anything specific that you folks will be up there fighting for saying, no, we really need this? Or is there anything specifically that you all are coordinating that will be, you know, coming out or that will, you know, just tell us what you all are thinking and kind of what the, what the plan might be? Yeah. Well, I think that one of the things that we'll be talking about and discussing that we care very much about is how the CARES money is being spent, how the COVID-19 uh, money from the federal government is being spent. We're in that process right now. Uh, there's a lot of money that's coming to the state of Utah that needs to be spent by the end of the year. We're watching that and making, uh, following the recommendations from uh, the Department of Health primarily is talking about that. The governor's Office of Management and Budget is uh, working very uh, uh, actively in that area, as is the Department of Workforce Services. Uh, the Department of Public Safety is involved in that. So we're watching that. We're making sure that money from the CARES Act goes to the best of our ability to most the most vulnerable populations. Again, for example, uh, Southeastern Utah, Navajo Nation. I mean, Navajo Nation is a separate nation, but they're also residents of the state of Utah. Not all of them, but uh, there are many folks in the Navajo Nation that live in uh, San Juan County. They're being hit very hard with this. Look at that meat packing plant up in Cashfell, uh, Cash County. Uh, they're being hit very hard with this. So we want to see better money being spent from the CARES Act uh, for that. We want to see uh, money being spent carefully and well for things like uh, environmental issues, clean air issues. We're worried that some of the money that was allocated for clean air projects in the 2020 session and was cut um, is is backfilled to the greatest extent possible because obviously um, our clean air is going to impact our quality of life in the Wasatch, along the Wasatch Front in a way that very few states have. So that's something. Um, there, there are a lot of things that we're doing our best to make sure we um, don't have cut. Uh, Steve Wilson, who is actually on the other side of the aisle, he's a Republican in the House, has put together uh, funding that passed in the 2020 session to the tune of about $20 million on an ongoing basis, $10 million one time, all for mental health care. Great projects, yeah. great work on his part. And now they've been cut. We're trying to figure out a way to uh, make sure that to the greatest extent possible, those programs get funded for mental health. That's a social service issue, but it's one in particular that we're paying close attention to. Yeah, because I mean, uh... Folks have said this, legislators have said this in, in the, the media recently that you, we think a lot about the economic impact and all this, but we don't think as much about the economic impact and what that has on mental health and the stress of folks and cutting those services at a time when they are probably at their peak need might be a not worthwhile investment. It might be worth keeping those on because the investment may be more outsized than we think in terms of dollars and cents and just looking at a spreadsheet right now as we sit yeah. and think. Right. Well, and a lot of times you have money that if you spend money that's spent on the federal or on the state level draws down much more money than that from the federal level. Example is Medicaid. Medicaid, uh, for every dollar that's spent on Medicaid in Utah, 70 cents of it comes from the federal government. Only 30 cents is coming from state taxpayers. So if you cut uh, a portion of money uh, from uh, Medicaid uh, from the state, you may end up uh, for every 30 cents that you cut of in state funding, you may lose another 70 cents from the feds. So that kind of a program where you have a drawdown isn't 
uncommon at all. And, and we try to take that into account. We rely again on staff, on our legislative fiscal analysts for recommendations about where to make the most highly leveraged decisions not to cut where it has a huge impact on those that kind of leverage funds. Yeah, when we first began the show last winter, uh, we, we did an episode about the about Medicaid in Weber County specifically and digging into the numbers, what we found was that some 70 plus percent of the folks in Weber County receiving Medicaid, this was before expansion happened, they were children or um, had some sort of disability. And so, like you said, the most vulnerable populations, these are they. And so if you choose to make those cuts, not only are you leaving money on the table from the federal government, which dollars will be there, uh, it's it's an impact on the folks that really don't have a say and maybe don't have as much of an ability to get up to the, the state legislature and talk to their folks. A um, couple of others, though, that that uh, we, we promised we would talk about, and we'll just fit these in really quickly, shoehorn them in. Uh, there was a Salt Lake Tribune article recently. Um, one of the things that they talked about was potentially cutting funds to the zoo, uh, which I guess you're on the board of, so I'm sure you were aware of that, especially as also a legislator. And uh, <laughs> Lee Perry said, he's like, well, I don't want to cut the funds to the zoo because we don't want a Jumanji situation where they got to, you know, right. open the gates of the zoo and just let wild animals roam around. I was like, it's huh. going to happen. I'll tell you one thing. Um, we had a, a board meeting for the zoo just uh, last, this earlier, well, it was last week now. And Steve Burns, who's the executive director of the Burns, was just in tears. I mean, he said, we are facing such dire circumstances. And, and the reality is what you said, Colby. I mean, it was, it's funny to hear Representative Perry talk that way about it. But the reality is, you, these, we, the zoo can't close because there's no place to put these animals. I mean, the animals have to be taken care of, right? I mean, yeah. for the very reason that, that uh, Lee Perry said, we're not gonna send out rhinos walking down Sunnyside Avenue as, they have, as they're locked out of the zoo for the last time. That idea is ridiculous. But the reality is every zoo in the country is facing these same kind of pressures. There's no place to put these animals. There's no, you can't say, well, Salt Lake Zoo is gonna close, so we'll send them off to the Bronx Zoo. No, the Bronx Zoo is in the same kind of financial problems that we've got. So um, we're gonna work hard on that, but I'll tell you, the zoo took, uh, the Natural Resources Appropriations Subcommittee made some significant cuts to the zoo budget. We're gonna try and deal with them at EAC, but I mean, they were the kind of things that caused uh, the executive director of the zoo to think, I don't know how long we're going to be able to stay in operations. I mean, there have already been cuts in personnel, things like that. The whole process is painful. Yeah, and, and especially, you know, the sort of pun intended, the elephant in the room is that they are not able to collect ticket revenues because they've been closed due to COVID-19. And that, that hurts their budgets pretty badly, especially right now where it's kind of a peak time for them. It's getting to be summer. It's when folks really show up to the zoo and bring their families. Carol Baskin's looking for more tigers. <laughs> Don't sell them to her. <laughs> the final one that I wanted to bring up was energy solutions. And there was um, the Salt Lake Tribune article noted that there were energy, energy solutions is very generous with giving their donations to various folks across the state with their campaigns, helping them out. And they have a, they have a subsidy that they receive. And I think it's from the subcommittee that you mentioned representative, the natural resources um, subcommittee. And uh, some folks question whether that that should be a subsidy that should continue because there are not a lot of companies like they that receive such a generous 
subsidy from the state government, but it was defended. And from what I understand, reading the article, it sounded like it was defended vehemently by folks saying, well, it's not fair that we should cut this, blah, blah, blah. And they won the day. They, they got to keep it. Yeah. No, it, this is a good example of energy solutions is an excellent example of special interests. As you say, Colby, Rocky they give a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, that's another one. There are a lot of them. And, and look, these are good corporate citizens in many respects, but in other respects, you look at them and you go, look, there's no reason for us to be subsidizing you guys. There's no reason. I mean, we have, for example, a lot of groups coming to us who provide basically uh, entertainment, uh, you know, like Thanksgiving Point, not to de denigrate Thanksgiving Point. They, they provide good work. It's but a nice they place. Also, in the yeah, it's a beautiful place, but they've also gotten significant funding from the state and you can defend it. Um, I think that it's a lot harder to defend the kind of money that energy solutions get because it's not like energy solutions is operating at a loss out there in the desert. I mean, are they an important uh, service that's provided? Do we have to take care of these wastes having for right, for better or worse? And, you know, we can say they should never have been allowed to put those things out in the desert in the first place. I have a lot of sympathy for that idea. But the fact is, there's a bunch of crap out there in the desert now, these nuclear wastes. Now, what are we going to do with it? Well, we know that it's protected and that it's well uh, preserved. But nobody from Energy Solutions is coming to say to us, hey, we're having a hard time making ends meet. And if you don't uh, provide us with some additional revenue, we're going to be closing up shop. That's not a, a threat. They're never saying that. They're doing just fine. But they come to us as legislators and they say, hey, it sure would be nice if you would take this uh, fee down from, you know, for example, 5 million down to 3 million. And, and, you know, when you have a bunch of people who have gotten contributions way too often, they feel like they have some debt that they owe to Energy Solutions. Scott, <laughs> uh, our, our senator that was here a long time ago, not a long time ago, but about 10 years ago, said to me when I was talking to him about Energy Solutions and whether anybody should take money, he said, dude, you should take money from Energy Solutions and then vote the way you need to vote. Vote against <laughs> them if you want to. Don't. Right. don't the last thing you should do is take money from any contributor and then vote the way that they expect or want you to vote. I ran into that with uh, the outdoor advertising people, Dewey Reagan, Reagan Outdoor Advertising, yeah. Yeah. lives in my district. He's a good guy. I like Dewey. The first couple of times I ran a race, he contributed to my my campaign. It wasn't a ton of money, 500 bucks, something like that. And, and we had a bill or two come up involving outdoor advertising. And I thought, I know how the people in my district feel. And I'm not voting against them. And I voted against them. And Dewey was so mad, he stopped contributing to me. That's OK. That's OK. We as, we as legislators should have the stones, quite honestly, to regardless of who's paying us what, vote our consciences and vote the way our constituents want. And if we can't do that, we should be voted out of office, honestly. Absolutely. I love yeah. that. Yes, yeah, sir. I love that, too. Well, to wrap up this conversation, we appreciate Representative for taking the time, kind of walking us through this process, t talking about some of the innards of it and kind of where we're at. Um, but also, please don't take money from Rocky Mountain Power. <laughs> <laughs> Let take their money. Let them spend their money. Yeah. Well, like, you want them spending it? Yeah, like like Representative uh, how you, said. How you want me to vote the way you want me to vote in, when Rocky Mountain Power issues come up, which I probably would will do. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, the call to action on this uh, for the JC Peeps is be on the lookout. We will let you folks know when they formally do call the special session, which from my understanding from Representative King will be uh, maybe a couple of weeks. It'll be here at the end of June. And then uh, that will be an opportunity for you to reach out to your state representatives, your state senators, make sure that they're aware of any uh, concerns that you have. Um, the folks are, like we said many times on the show, all politics is local and they are very sensitive to the calls that you make and the emails that you send. Make sure that you're not sending form emails, you know, reach out and, you know, write them a formal email or leave them a message. They, they'll call you back and they'll talk to you and uh, don't be afraid, you know, stand, like you said, stand to your principles. I find that often my concern is that if I reach out to my representative, um, I will, I don't have the information that they know more than I do. And so they're going to talk me down and, you know, show me that I, I don't actually know a lot, but um, that hasn't always been my experience. Sometimes they won't listen to you. John and I learned that when, you know, when I lived in North Ogden, reaching out to Alan Christensen, doesn't, uh, he didn't like my uh, particular opinions about tax reform. Um, he had a, he had a response ready for me, but we let him know. And uh, we encourage the JC peeps to do the same when the time comes. Okay. Our representative, thanks again, like I said, for being willing to chat with us about how all of this is going down at the state legislature. We appreciate your efforts. Uh, being the House Minority Leader is a tough job, but we're glad you do it. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Good to talk with you. Yeah. So, thanks so much. Um, Good work. Yeah, so we're going to take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we're going to get into Pinky's Up, Thumbs Down. Got some events. Uh, no polls this week, but uh, take a break and we'll get back to you. Hey, JC Peeps, it's Colby, and I want to tell you about our new home, Foley's MMA. Foley's MMA offers classes in boxing, kickboxing, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu for ages 5 to adult. All experience levels are welcome. It's owned and operated by our good friends, Disco Dave and Sana Foley at 31st and Washington Boulevard in downtown Ogden, if you know where it is. It's right next to Kiesel, uh, the Kiesel Services place. So uh, I came to Foley's MMA, uh, gosh, it's been a while ago, and uh, I really wanted to uh, help out in the community. I helped uh, Dave and Sana start a nonprofit that helps kids uh, get in here and uh, get their get uh, learn how to box and those kinds of things and so uh, from there my wife started coming she's been um, almost weekly attendant here at Foley's MMA uh, loves it always loves her gym family and so if you want to be a part of that gym family you should come on down too so if you're interested or just curious check them out at foleysmma.com or follow them on social media to learn about upcoming classes they've got a lot of them uh, it's a solid gym with good folks and a great place to learn train and get in shape so oh the last most important piece Officially approved by John Miles. So check them out. Welcome back. Uh, thanks again for Representative Brian King coming out and educating all of us on how things work up there. He's fighting the good fight. Definitely fighting the good fight. Uh, the supermajority thing makes me depressed, though. Uh, Don't worry, man. Don't you, know worry. What el- you know what else good makes me depressed? Happen. When there's no polls in the forum. Did you post I one? almost did a poll. You know, I thought we were supposed to do one, and then I forgot about it. What happened Sorry. to Sheena doing the polls? She doesn't care. I'm not even sure she listens anymore, guys. Oh, Oof. ouch. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can start speaking openly. There were, But you, you know what? I will say to the JC peeps, they are active on that forum, and I dig it. Uh, I like all the stuff that they're sharing. I like all the stuff that people are sharing on there. And I, Nina Morris, I got to shout out to Nina. You know what? Let's just 
We'll move on. There was no polls. <laughs> we'll we'll have a poll, but I'm gonna just go straight into pinkies up, thumbs down. My pinkies up is to Nina Morris. She's been sharing a lot of stuff, sharing a lot of uh, good, readable, watchable, whatever content that um I, that I feel like I've been informed this week. Mm-hmm. Angel too. Angel's done. Yeah. Anyway, pinkies up to the JC peeps for sharing stuff in the forum. Yeah. Picking up all, all our lazy asses because we haven't done any polls. John, what about you? What's your pinkies up? I'm honestly not sure I have one. Up is down, black is white. I'm I don't know what if I like or dislike anything anymore. <laughs> what the fuck? The world what? is chaos, Daniel. <laughs> sure. That sounds like a cop out. But it was. Go ahead. Kobe. We all we're couple. all waiting for years anyway, so go ahead. Yeah, I have a couple this weekend. So um, the first one is Pinky's up to uh, the Wildcat family, Weber State alumni, for reaching out to the university, making it clear the way that we felt about the situation that was on campus last week, where criminal justice professor had made some, you know, threats of violence against protesters and journalists and the university you know did some investigating and ultimately that person resigned um there were some conflicting you know uh i think there's some conflicting pieces of the narrative where if you read the ksl article he said that he had been asked to resign the official narrative from the university was that they did not ask him to resign so some conflict there i think probably what happened is that they did ask him to resign in a way and he did so but pinky's up to like i said the wildcat family and being willing to make your voice known and let folks know that's not what we stand for that's not who we are as wildcats it's not do you have a sense of why like i when i read that he resigned i was just like what is his motivation to resign like why wouldn't you say fire me i'm not quitting I have a freedom of speech, you know? My guess is probably that what will happen is, and I don't know this, this is just conjecture on my part. He will not be allowed to teach classes, so he probably wasn't going to get paid into the fall while they went through the process of removing him as a tenured professor. Mm. If And if that were to happen and he were removed as a tenured professor, it would be a pretty black mark on his resume. Right. right? And so... In lieu of that, and probably the university had a pretty strong case for that, they likely wouldn't threaten that process unless they felt really confident about the outcome, sort of a count count the votes before you bring a piece right. of legislation to the floor kind of a situation. So he wanted to avoid that because the university probably had him in a, in a position where they felt like he could likely be removed. And so, and he yeah, likely wouldn't sense. be, he wouldn't be getting paid throughout that process because he wouldn't be teaching courses. So it would be easier just to kind of step right. away and try and find a new job somewhere else. And just, I like to think that maybe he just, you know, figured it out and was like, yeah, this is, it was his conscience. Yeah. It was his conscience. That's the one. Sure. I don't know, man. I, I, I'm not I love the world changing minds, man. changing the world. One right. racist professor at a time. It's a beautiful vision that you have. Brad Morrison's piece was pretty good. It was. Um, you know, some people had some problems with it, and I can understand that. <laughs> but overall, I felt like it was authentic. It was real. Same. Um, yeah. And it 
it's uh, you know kudos to him for being willing to write it and put it out there because he definitely didn't well, have to. That's great. Let's close the book on Weber State University. They'll never do anything. Nothing, no <laughs> bad news will come out of there ever again. And yeah, that except, was that. Except for now we get to my thumbs down. So now I've just found this out a few hours before we recorded. Um, Nina Morris once again shared this in the Junction City Forum. And then uh, Malik Dio also sent it to me um, via Facebook. So I guess this kid who is on the soccer team, and I keep on, the men's soccer team is club. They do not receive scholarships. They do not compete at the NCAA level the way that you traditionally think about college athletics. There are schools that do have men's soccer programs that are scholarshiped and all that. Weber State is not one of those. So it's just a club. You want to show up and, and play in the club soccer team. You can do that if you're good enough, blah, blah, blah. It'll go on for you. So apparently there was this kid who sent this really racist oh, video. It's to, so bad. It's so cringy to another uh, student who was also on the soccer team. It's not even cringy. Uh, it's just, it's terrible human beings. It's just terrible. Stuff. Yeah, it's it's obvious racism. Like the kind of racism that you learn about in school, where it's like, this is what racism looks like. It's that. It's really terrible. And so now the university is once again saying we're looking into this, blah blah blah. But I said that the situation is a little bit different this time because this is a student saying you know sending this video to another student and that's very different from a tenured professor who is you know making these claims it's a little bit different this time so we'll see what happens i think that likely the student will issue a public apology or may end up leaving the university we'll see yeah well that thumbs down to that yeah thumbs down to that thumbs down also so i had gave uh, given a pinkies up to menina thumbs down to um, all my the high school friends that are on Facebook that are like, man, uh, this is so bad, and I can't believe the world is like this. And I, I, every time I read their posts, I always think, come on, you knew that you you knew you know what you did. You know this is the Not stuff for that was white happening. People, you, you know, know what that, you did. <laughs> you know what you did. You know this is the stuff that you were doing. Get out. Get out. Oh, you're you're saying that they were engaging this kind of behavior. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that video, that video that you saw, right? Like the the one that the Weber State kid posted or sent to the other kid, right? Yeah, bro, that that was like a regular in the football locker room. That was a regular at school. Like, please. That happened all the time. And now the people that I know that have said these things, like, you know, they're coming out like, I just can't believe what happened to society and how kids could say something so mean, and you're like, "Come, oh, what? what?" You said those things. You yeah. said those things. You said those things. I wish I had a. I was telling my kids this. I wish I had a cell phone back then, because I. I mean, like, yeah, we wouldn't have some, you know, pretty prominent lawyers right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you'd be blackmailing some fools. Exactly, Jeff Epstein style. <laughs> Just. So I had, I had one more that I wanted to get in really quickly. So I'm not done with Lee Perry quite yet. So I don't know if you all saw this. Uh, Representative Lee Perry on his uh, – how, how do I describe it? His public Twitter? official Facebook page posted last night about how he had heard that the, the Mod Pizza in Riverdale had refused service to some officers after the funeral of Officer Nate uh, Lede. Is that how I say his name? After that funeral, 
some officers went to Mod Pizza in Riverdale and were refused service. And so he's not, you know, he's not supporting them anymore. And all these people piling on. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can't believe this. But then other folks in the comments were saying, well, what exactly happened? What what are the details of the situation that would lead you to this conclusion? There were no details. And it was really interesting because earlier in the week, Box Elder County Sheriff had shared a post oh, about Antifa about stuff, Antifa going door to door and talking. shooting people, oh. and it, it was like, and they said, "Well, we got that information from Logan PD." And what I pointed out was like, "No, what the Cash County Sheriff's Office shared was rumor control. This is fake news. Be right. wary." The Box Elder County Sheriff's Department presented it as fact and said, well, they "Be said, careful." We can neither confirm or deny this. But it's the fact, yeah, and it's the fact that they're sharing it to everybody, though. Is right. what... And then they had to come back and, and delete that post and say, message received, blah, 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 all this stuff. So now we're a few days removed from that. Lee Perry is sharing this hearsay information about officers being refused service at the Mod Pizza in Riverdale. And everyone's going, well, what are the details? What are the details? Nobody has any of the details. None. So I go to bed just ripping people in that thread, like, what are you doing? Like, you're you're taking this super strong stand, and you're never going to go to Mod Pizza. I, to be honest, I've never been there, but like, you're never going to go to this business again because it's you so think they have this thing pizza. happened. So come to find out, this morning, he gets in there and he edits his thing. Well, here what happened was allegedly, these officers came in, they got a funny look, the people in the counter went to the back, and so the officers felt uncomfortable and they left. That's the situation. That's the refusal of service, allegedly. The Ogden police officers felt uncomfortable? We don't know what city they were from. We know but that they definitely were from the Roy police city officers because, did. But the police officer felt uncomfortable, and so they left. And that's the refusal of service. So then more questions, right? Well, what exactly happened? Where? How long did the people go in the back before coming back out to serve them? Was it 60 seconds? Was it five minutes? Was it 10 minutes? What? My question is like, was it truly a refusal of service, or did they not like the fact that you know these folks maybe made a face or something like that and went in the back and they said, "Forget it, we're out of here," and they didn't even wait; they just walked out, right? And then they and then they go around and start saying, "Oh, it's a refusal of service." So as more details came out, it it was clear that Representative Perry didn't actually know what had happened; he had heard it from someone who had heard it from someone, kind of a thing, and then just used his platform to put it on blast. And then later, Mod Pizza in Riverdale commented on his thing and said, we're looking into this. We'd love to talk to you about who you heard this from so we can get to the bottom of this. He didn't actually know. He had no idea. And he was using his platform to slander a business without all of the facts. And, I mean, I've, like I said, I've never been to Mod Pizza, but that crap pisses me off. You should be smarter than that, and you should know better in the era of fake news to be spreading rumors like that. Thumbs down to that behavior. Where, did, where Where's his district? 29 is a good chunk of Box Elder County. It's Plain City. It's Far West. It's parts of Marriott, Slaterville, um, Western Weber County. Okay. Northern, Western. Yeah, I used to live in that district. <clears throat> well, always a good thumbs down from Kobe. Uh, upcoming events. So let's talk about some events that happened. Uh, actually, I, I'd like to... Shout out to Weber County Democrats last week, right? They had a great showing, made some good money. I mean, yeah. uh, Brian King, shout out to him already, but uh, kudos to Zach. Um, I heard that at 15,000, you, uh, Kobe, and John said that they were going to blue themselves. Blue themselves? 
That was good, right? You guys like that. That was good. If you're an Arrested Development fan, you're definitely laughing. Uh, so yeah, kudos to those guys. Uh, yeah, but- I think that they broke a fundraising record during coronavirus. It's pretty impressive. That is, is impressive. impressive. That's awesome. You on a digital, um, yeah, digital fundraising only dinner. Yeah. See, yeah. it can be done. Right. Yep. Can. Zach works hard. Uh, Super Wednesday, hard. June tenth. Man, you were really putting me out on this one, Kobe. I got to get this one out by Wednesday. Wednesday, June tenth. <laughs> Ogden Diversity Commission monthly meeting. This is a Zoom call, uh, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. I'm sure you're going to have to have like some kind of password or something, or there will be some kind of uh, pro- like procedures right, are put in place to get into this call, I'm assuming. Do you know? Um, so there is um, one thing to note. All of these events have been added to jcp's facebook page as events so if you're looking for them just go to our events page and they will be there and i'm sure that uh there will be a link to join the zoom call on wednesday there this is cool the event is actually from jeremy shinoda's our guest host this week it's for on his um facebook can we really call him a guest host he didn't even say (laughs) the rest of the show (laughs) we can call him that Uh, people people heard jeremy ask his questions to brian and they're like who's that (laughs) <laughs> but if you want to be a guest host all you have to do is donate a thousand dollars a hundred dollars on patreon anyway we'll get to that also coming up saturday <laughs> june 13th weber dems coffee 9 30 a.m to 10 30 a.m uh this is going on at mount ogden park i'm assuming there's going to be social distancing yes. and uh coffee and hot chocolate for all yeah so Zach said that yeah they they hot meet chocolate? up in the park they social distance I don't know about hot cocoa I'm sure that they have some drinks uh, and then he said they're also going to be playing cornhole so for those of us that are not coffee drinkers he should add that in yeah you better just provide drinks for sorry go ahead bring well, your no own. what were we gonna say for just every specific mm-hmm. taste yeah yeah <laughs> John Miles so uh, Sunday June fourteenth. JCP virtual monthly meetup. Oh, oh, formerly known as drinking liberally. I thought this died with John's what? like drive to make this show good. No, <laughs> this, this lives. Nope, only the drive died. <laughs> and so we'll be having we'll be having a a, a monthly meetup. <laughs> I think Sunday Kevin Teela likes that joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw Kevin Teela this week. Cruised through my neighborhood. Talked to him. Uh, 6.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. This will be on Sunday, right before the show. We're all just going to get drunk right before the show and have a real professional guest on, and this will yeah. be just awesome. Next week will be... Oh, wait, is it next week? Never mind. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, that's I next week. The guy, but yeah, I got to confirm. I got to get him. Uh, yeah, Kevin Tila was in the neighborhood. You didn't even bring him by, Kobe? Jeez. I told him that you live a block over, and he didn't want to go said, over no. there. Oh, like, oh I'm not like, Shane. Dude. I'm not Shane. Wow. I was like, dude, Dan Dan is at, he's home. You can go in there. He's like, no, nah, <laughs> I know. Gotta, I got to get back to work. Wow. I Kevin was like, we can go Tila. toilet paper him real fast if you want. Shh. I don't know. Um, all right. Well, you can like us on Facebook. Uh, join the join the Junction City podcast forum. Uh Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Like I said before, look, we keep saying that we're going to do all these things for Patreon, but I will throw that out there right now. You give us $100, you can host this show. There it is. Boom. 
That's, That's how little we care. <laughs> just okay, coming to take over John's spot. Some, Jesus. Does, it, just <laughs> end it already for this guy. <laughs> does Dan not drink coffee? You don't drink coffee? I do not drink coffee, no. No, I didn't either. Oh, I got, uh, I got a migraine. Um, Make some coffee, I hope. <laughs> that's funny. Kobe, you called me earlier this week, and I... Oh, yeah, we should not talk about that on the show. Uh, the we'll You can rate us. It's funny. You can rate us. Uh, rate us on all your uh, applications that you get podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Journey Weaver. What's the other one called? Alien. Spotify. That's what it was called. Galaxy Quest. Galaxy. This is like... Nobody's listening at this really point, Really good John. ending. I know. Maybe we should start with All Politics is Local and then end it too, so that people actually hear the punchline. Or the... Mansion City Podcast. All, All Politics, Politics is, local. is Local. So, yeah. So like we say every week. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The last thing. Tell your friends about the show. We want to grow the following. We want to be able to motivate people. We should inform have them. To we want to grow the following. I hope we post the clip where Colby says he doesn't care about growing the following. No, 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 no. You did no, no, say no. that. You did say it's that. It's nuanced. Dude. No, no, no. It's nuanced. You talk about shareability. I want to I wanna attract the right people. And if you're already listening to this show and you share it with your friends, they probably agree with you. And they don't care that you guys swear. I don't know why. I, I don't why think is the that guy they're... that doesn't swear defending the swearing. Why is that happening? You're right. It's very hypocritical. Here's the it's thing: weird. is you're talking to empty desks at this point, because or or like, uh, you know, dogs I mean, and cats, was... because nobody they're either they either forgot to push uh, pause and, and you're talking to shows. empty desks right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and like we say every week. <laughs> Shit. Come on, John. You're not going to do it? I think you're going to do it. <laughs> do what? Do the thing. Say the, <laughs> say the tagline. Like we say every week. No, like we say every week. John doesn't know it. Doesn't yeah, what know do we it? say after that? I hang up as soon as they <laughs> say like we say every week. I thought that was the end. No, it isn't. Okay, John. And like we say every week. He's not. He's gonna refuse to say it. Why? Yeah. Why is he being like? All right, Dan. And like we all say, politics week, is all politics is local. Oh, and then he oh, snakes wow. Dan. Wow. <laughs> as soon as it goes, dude, he's like a little kid. As he soon is. as it, somebody else wants it. That's how we're ending the show. I, I don't even care. That's how we ended it. Okay, show's over. <laughs> he just. Laughs. That was so good. That was really good. Right off on the sunset.